Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I am Dr. Stephen Liu, the Director of Thoracic Oncology at Georgetown University. We are coming off the heels of ELCC 21, the European Lung Cancer Congress. This is a multidisciplinary lung cancer meeting that's co-organized by ESMO and the IASLC. It's normally held in Geneva, Switzerland, and really is one of my favorite meetings. This year, of course, the meeting was virtual. And if you did not get a chance to attend, we will discuss the meeting today and its highlights with two of the scientific co-chairs for ELCC 21, who also happen to be two giants in the field of thoracic oncology, Dr. Enriqueta Philippe and Dr. Fabrice Barlesi. Dr. Philippe is an associate professor of medical oncology at the Autonomous University of Barcelona, head of the lung cancer unit at Valdebron University, as well as a member of the steering committee of the Spanish Lung Cancer Group. Enriqueta, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hello, everyone. And we have Dr. Fabrice Barlesi, a professor of medicine at the University of Aix-Marseille. He ran the multidisciplinary oncology and innovative therapies department at the Nord Hospital in Marseille. And in January 2020, he was appointed the general director of Gustave Roussy. Fabrice, great to have you with us. Thanks for the invitation. Great to be with you. Uh, it really is a treat to be joined by two of the most impactful lung cancer researchers today. It is not an understatement to say that the two of you have been involved in some of the biggest advances we've seen in just about every aspect of lung cancer treatment. So thanks again for taking the time with us today. As a note to our listeners, slides from the ELCC meeting are available on the ESMO portal Oncology Pro, where ELCC delegates will have access for one year. IASLC members will also have access. Members who did not attend ELCC can just email IASLC membership for a code to access these slides. In this podcast, we'd like to go over some of the science presented at ELCC 21. But first, I want to congratulate you both on organizing such a wonderful meeting. Fabrice, can you talk to some of the challenges of organizing a meeting like this virtually? I don't know if everybody can imagine how long it is to organize such a meeting with the support of the ESLC and the ESMO committees. And uh, But I would say that everything is, uh, is going very well and uh, we focus on the science on our sides and uh, we, we are very well supported by all the teams. That support really is, is important. And Raquel, I think we're looking forward to coming to these meetings in person, interacting and, of course, visiting lovely Geneva once again. But are there any advantages to this virtual format that we had to adopt this year? Is is this something you think will remain even beyond the pandemic? The reality is that I miss a lot attending meetings such as the ELCC, the Geneva meeting. I miss the lack of networking and seeing colleagues and friends. And the traditional conferences and some live presentations and discussions often make us feel inspired and full of energy. But yes, there are some advantages of the present virtual environment. It's cheaper for attendees and probably more accessible. There may be a better visual and audio quality. It's even easy to ask questions and there is the option to rewatch presentations. And I anticipate the feature will include a more limited but still highly relevant in-person meetings mixed with virtual educational content. A hybrid, almost. I think that's that's a great yeah. point. Well, yes, this is a great meeting, and I, I enjoy just being in Geneva, but we go there for the science. And there was a lot of relevant data at ELCC this year. I'd love to discuss some of the highlights of the meeting and, and their potential impact with the perspective of both of you. 
And Arketa, maybe we can start with the Adagrasib data, the Crystal One trial that was presented by Dr. Greg Riley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, Dr. Riley uh, presented uh, relevant information with uh, this new agent, uh, Dagrasib, in KRASI-12C uh, non-small cell and cancer patients. As you all know, KRASI-12C represents an important target and is present in approximately 13% of lung adenocarcinoma patients. So during the meeting, he presented updated uh, results of the phase 1B expansion and phase 2 uh, monotherapy cohorts with Adagrasib in previously treated KRASI-12C non-small cell lung cancer patients. The study explored uh, 600 milligrams BID in 79 uh, patients, and in 51 evaluable patients, Adagrasib was associated with a response rate of 45%, disease control rate in 96% of the patients, and a median duration of treatment of 8.2 months. Uh, overall, uh, Adagrasib was uh, well tolerated. Grade 3 adverse events were seen in approximately 30% of the patients. The most common uh, were fatigue in 6% of the patients, and uh, AST and ALT elevation in 5% of the patients. Importantly, uh, he presented that for those patients with a sticky 11 uh, positive mutation, there was a, a higher uh, response rate. The response rate in this uh, subgroup was 64%. And uh, uh, he mentioned that the suggestion is that adagrasib may well increase immune response gene transcripts. So very important uh, information with these KRASI-12C inhibitors in this uh, group of patients with lung adenocarcinoma difficult to treat. I mean, these are really encouraging. I mean, yeah. great responses, really well tolerated. I think it's good to finally have targeted options for KRAS. These are reminiscent of the outcomes we saw with Sotorasib, AMG 510, from Dr. Bob Lee at World Lung 2020. Um, Fabrice, looking at these data, what are your impressions of Adagrasib? You know, I think uh, if we look at the, the rate of our patient with KRAS mutation, and even if KRAS G2C is not representing all of our patients with KRAS mutation, I think it's a good thing that we finally get uh, uh, two drugs, at least in uh, in uh, advanced development, that are available in clinical trials to, 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 to treat and to address this question of KRAS mutation. If we look at the, the data, I would say, it's very encouraging. The response rate is clearly better uh, compared to what we can, we can uh, expect with docetaxel, which is the standard of care up to now. And the uh, duration of response uh, is also very encouraging. We were expecting maybe uh, shorter duration of response, given the fact that those patients are usually heavy smoker with a lot of concomitant follicular alteration, but it was not the case. And I think the data presented are also, uh, I would say, providing some preliminary insights on the, um, the change that we can see in the biology of those patients treated with, uh, with this KRAS inhibitors, and in this case with uh, Adagrasib. And uh, it shows that it may improve the response to uh, CPI, which is, uh, I would say, a, a good thing. And we are waiting for the, for the data of the combination, but also some data about the, uh, the molecular co-alteration that were present or exist at the time of progression that makes the rationale for uh, more trial with combination, trying to overcome this mechanism of resistance and then prolonging the duration of response. Yeah, I agree. You get the sense that we're really at the start of, of an era and these combinations seem really exciting. Yeah. And Raketa, you know, we expect these, these KRAS G12C inhibitors to make a big impact. You know, both Sotorasib and Adagrasib response rates in the 40% range, good durability, as Fabrice mentioned. 
Do you think these numbers are good enough for first line use? Yeah, good uh, question. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think in the second line setting, the contribution of both agents, Adaracip and Sotoracip, is pretty clear, as mentioned by Fabrice. In the second line setting, after chemo and immuno, we have uh, docetaxel or docetaxel plus antiangiogenic agents achieving less than 15% of response uh, rate. And uh, with uh, these KRASI 12 inhibitors in second line, we, ha we have this 40% response rate and median duration of response uh, longer than eight months. And in first line, I think we need additional studies with KRASI 12C inhibitors, probably in combination with immunotherapy or even in monotherapy in uh, groups of patients selected perhaps those with STK11 mutation. So I think the results are uh, excellent, uh, pretty clear in second line, and we need uh, further studies in first line, uh, probably in combination or in subgroups of uh, uh, patients. Absolutely. And, and Fabrice mentioned some of those on way. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we also saw some interesting immunotherapy data. Fabrice, do you want, maybe want to summarize the, the update our friend Dr. Luis Pazarez gave on Checkmate 9LA? Yes, absolutely. Then uh, a trial that uh, everybody uh, probably already know, but uh, just remember, it's, it's a randomized uh, trial, including uh, 790 patients uh, without uh, a GFR-ALK uh, rearrangement. And uh, patients were randomized to standard chemotherapy or two cycles of chemotherapy combined with nivolumab and pilimumab. Uh, the, uh, this analysis report a set of patients uh, who had a tissue TMB or blue TMB analysis, and uh, it was the case for 456 patients for tissue TMB and 519 with blue TMB. Uh, what are the, uh, the, the results? High tissue TMB uh, uh, correlated with response, and the response rate uh, for the uh, experimental arm was 46% when uh, uh, TMB was greater than 10 mutation per megabase and 30, 33%. Uh, when it was uh, inferior to 10 mutations per megabase, and there was no difference in the chemo arm. If we look at uh, blue TMB, uh, blue TMB also correlated with the response, with a response rate for the experimental arm with NIVO EP uh, by, uh, with 55% of uh, uh, in the patients with more than 20 mutations per megabase, compared to uh, 33% for the patient with less than 20 uh, mutations per megabase. NIVO-EP uh, also uh, presented with a bitter uh, PFS in tissue TMB as a ratio of 0.49, but the overall survival was uh, similar, even if the hazard ratio was 0.74, but uh, the confidence interval included the one. There was a similar trend for the blue TMB with a bitter uh, PFS, but uh, less uh, difference regarding the overall survival. The PDL1 did not impact the magnitude of the OS benefit in this uh, subgroup analysis. Then, uh, it's uh, another piece regarding the, the TMB. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, important to see that uh, it could have uh, an, uh, an impact in our patients' management. Yeah, I like seeing all these additional correlative data come out from these studies and really keep learning more about the field. I think these data reinforce the benefit that that 9LA regimen has. But as we can see, there are a lot of challenges in biomarker development. Enriqueta, any comments on these TMB results from 9LA? Yes, I agree that we have challenges in biomarker discovery in the immunotherapy setting. So uh, in the in the Checkmate 9LA, uh, we have uh, just seen that uh, there is a similar magnitude of overall survival benefit with NIVO EP plus two cycles of chemotherapy, regardless of TMB. 
However, there are higher TMBs associated with greater response rate and PFS benefit, as uh, summarized by Fabrice. And perhaps it could be important uh, knowing if uh, for those long-term survivors, more than three years or four years, there is a tendency to have higher TMB or not. I think we need more studies analyzing biomarkers and immunotherapy. I would like to highlight the pioneer study presented by Fabrice in ESMO 2020. And yeah, importantly, we have a number of randomized trials in first line with subset of patients with long-term benefit. And perhaps it could be of interest to analyze the molecular characteristics of these long-term uh, uh, benefit uh, patients together in order to describe if we uh, have any important feature to identify these uh, patients. Yeah, that's, that would be great, sort of characterization of those long-term survivors and really learn more. Um, Fabrice, we've got a lot of options now outside of trials for patients with driver-negative non-small cell lung cancer. How do you yourself see Checkmate 9LA fitting into the treatment algorithm? I have to say that I like the design of the study uh, where the, uh, we are trying to decrease the, uh, the amount of chemotherapy uh, the patients will receive, and uh, then uh, we make control the risk of progression at the beginning of the, uh, the immunotherapy. Then I believe that for the moment, we still need to better understand where this kind of, uh, of combination may have the, the greater impact how it will be comparable with the uh, with the combination of chemo and just uh, uh, one PD-1 or PDL one inhibitors. We don't have any data uh, regarding this kind of comparison. But at the end, I think that it will be very interesting to have as many options as possible, probably, to make a correlation with the uh, the microenvironment uh, when we will be able to, uh, to have like an immunogram that will help us to, to better design our strategies. Yeah, look forward to, to having more of those data. One of the other studies we saw at ELCC 21 was the CAMEL-SQ trial from Dr. Joe. Uh, this was a phase three randomized trial for patients with advanced squamous non-small cell lung cancer. Patients uh, all received carboplatin paclitaxel and were randomized to receive concurrent camrelizumab, PD-1 inhibitor, or placebo followed by maintenance therapy for two years. Now, the study did allow crossover primary endpoint was progression-free survival. And what we saw at ELCC was that the addition of camerlizumab did improve progression-free survival, median of 8.5 months versus 4.9 with chemo, that hazard ratio for PFS 0.37. Response rate was higher with camerlizumab, 65% versus 37%. Responses were durable with a median duration of response, 13.1 versus 4.4 months. There was also an improvement in survival, hazard ratio 0.55. And while the median had not been reached in the camerlizumab arm, the one-year OS rate improved from 62% to 75%. And so what we have here is the addition of a PD-1 inhibitor camerlizumab to frontline carbopac improved progression-free survival, response rate, and significantly improved overall survival in squamous non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, Enriqueta, what were your reaction to these data? This is another uh, good study with excellent results uh, with immunotherapy in the first-line setting of advanced uh, squamous cell, uh, non-small cell lung cancer. In my opinion, these findings uh, also support uh, cabrolusumab plus uh, paclitaxel and carboplatin as one standard uh, first-line treatment for advanced squamous non-small cell lung cancer. The hassle ratio for PFS and overall survival favoring cabrolusumab uh, combination are very good. And yeah, I think the study uh, overall reinforces the use of immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy, also in a scale cell carcinoma. 
Yeah, certainly a paradigm we've seen before. Fabrice, anything to add? Uh, this study uh, also highlights the progress we made in the past year. If we look at the one year of our survival, uh, even in the control arm, it's uh, 62%, then clearly better than the 12 months that uh, everyone has in mind in the past. Then uh, I think uh, it's uh, another piece to, the, uh, uh, to as Enriqueta said, uh, to the, the trend of the combination of chemo and IO in this patient's population. And uh, I would say uh, that uh, it's, uh, it's another uh, arm that we have in our hand. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point that everyone's outcomes improving. Uh, easy to gloss over that. Um, you know, we mentioned with this durability, and that really is the appeal of immunotherapy. That's why long-term follow-up is important. We got some long-term data from Keynote 407, another squamous trial that was presented by Dr. Andrew Robinson. Uh, maybe Enriqueta, can you review those highlights? Yes, uh, as you know, Keynote 407 is a randomized trial, also in ischemic cell carcinoma patients with carboplatin and napaclitaxel or paclitaxel and either pembrolizumab or placebo. We all know that this trial is positive for overall survival and PFS, powering chemo plus uh, pembrolizumab. And during the ELCC meeting, there was an important presentation by Dr. Robinson showing long-term results uh, in this trial. With three-year follow-up, the overall survival benefit persists. The median uh, uh, overall survival was 17.2 months with pembrolizumab versus 11.6 months with placebo with a hazard ratio of 0.71. And the three-year overall survival rate was 30% for those patients receiving pembrolizumab, 18% for those patients receiving chemo plus placebo. Even with long-term uh, follow-up, uh, the progression-free survival benefit uh, was maintained. The median PFS uh, was eight months for chemo plus pembrolizumab, five months for chemotherapy alone with a hazard ratio of 0.59. And the three-year progression-free survival rate was 16% for those patients randomized to chemotherapy plus pembrolizumab versus 6.5% for those patients receiving chemotherapy alone. Again, benefit, benefit was observed in both PDL1 positive and PDL1 negative subgroups. And yeah, my uh, comment uh, uh, from this presentation is that it's always important to have these long term results from phase three uh, randomized trials analyzing uh, immunotherapy or immunotherapy plus chemotherapy. Yeah, I love watching these, these trials mature. It's really inspiring. And just to reinforce that point, this is our standard of care. For both PDL1 positive and PDL1 negative, too often I see PDL1 negative tumors being denied the opportunity to get these long-term benefits. Um, Fabrice, let me ask you kind of a provocative question. Uh, Enrique kind of mentioned 16% of patients with metastatic squamous lung cancer who got carbotaxane pembrolizumab with no progression at three years. And presumably those patients have been off treatment now for over a year. Are these patients potentially cured of their lung cancer? I would love to answer yes, but I think that for the moment, we have probably patients uh, with uh, large immune resets uh, who are deriving a very long-term uh, benefit of immunotherapy, but we are not completely able at the moment to identify those patients and then know who are those patients who may stop the immunotherapy after a certain time and then be controlled for a long time and then potentially cure. And we still have some progresses to do, but clearly we are on the way uh, to be able to achieve it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Riketa, what about you? Is cure a word that you use to describe immunotherapy in, in your own lung cancer clinics? Yeah, I don't know if we can use the word uh, cure to describe immunotherapy in stage four lung cancer, but it's true that there is a new reality that there are patients uh, with uh, uh, progression free uh, after four to five years of starting therapy. And these patients have uh, new needs and new expectations. So, yeah, I think overall, uh, uh, in my opinion, more work uh, needs to be done to predict uh, who are uh, these patients. I think we have time for maybe one more abstract. We saw our colleague, Dr. Fiona Blackhall, present some data on AMG 757. Fabrice, can you refresh our memory about that abstract? Yeah, absolutely. Then uh, the AMG uh, 757 is uh, a bispecific T-cell engager. And uh, I think that everybody remembered the data regarding this antibody at the Roval Pituzumab targeting DLS3. Here, the mechanism of action is clearly different. It's a T cell engager targeting both DLS3 but engaging CD3. This is an ongoing trial, still in escalation, but the response rate uh, during the LCC, a report response rate of 14%, uh, with 22% with a stable disease. The response uh, were reached quite quickly with 1.81 million, and 83% of the responses lasted for at least six months. The toxicity is uh, characterized by a cytokine uh, relay syndrome in 44% of the patients, or about one case where grade one or two. Uh, in uh, uh, these uh, CRS occur mainly in cycle one, and there was uh, two recurrences in cycle two and three. And the median time to the onset for this uh, CRS was nine hours. Then uh, the um, I think it's a, it's a drug that uh, is a new drug in this field where we made um, I would say very few progress until the advent of the combination of chemo and IO. And uh, you know we participated in this trial here in Gustavo C. We treated a couple of patients, and I, I clearly remember two of the patients who responded. Uh, patients easily who treated before. And I think it's uh, we still have to um, to better understand who are those patients who are responding. But it's a small step, but uh, I would say a very uh, exciting step in this disease. Yeah, Enric, we we certainly need better salvage options in small cell. You gave an oral presentation uh, discussing some of the new drugs we have there. Any early reaction to AMG seven five seven? I think, uh, yeah, the results uh, presented are uh, promising. Uh, AMG seven five seven represents a new type of agent uh, targeting probably an important target in the small cell lung cancer, the notch pathway and DLL3. And uh, importantly, as mentioned by Fabrice, there are some long lasting responders. Uh, so yeah, I think more studies with AMG 757 in the small cell lung cancer are clearly warranted. Well, this has been a great conversation and a great way to reflect on a really impactful meeting I think I speak for all of us when, when I say we long for the chance to connect in person again. ELCC has always been such a great opportunity to do that. Uh, maybe before we go, we could share some memories of, of previous meetings that, that we think of fondly. I remember a, a meeting in Geneva I had with uh, our colleague, Dr. Alfredo Adeo, where uh, you know after the meeting, we went to get some fondue and we invented a new type of fondue where we actually took the, the cold cheese blocks of the fondue and then dipped that into the fondue and uh, that was, <laughs> I'm sure it was something. Um, Fabrice, is there a meeting that maybe you remember fondly? I would say probably the beta I attended uh, when I was uh, a young fellow, but uh, for sure the uh, 
2018 edition when I had the chance to receive this Einar Schinsen Award. Uh, was clearly also a very good remember with all my mentors and my friends here. And uh, it was clearly a meeting, as you said, uh, where you can meet your colleagues. It's, uh, it's a meeting where you have the time to do that. And uh, all the, the scientific community is there. And uh, we really hope to have, uh, to have the chance to meet everybody in person next year. Yeah, such a prestigious award. Congratulations again on that. But you know, hopefully we'll be able to meet again. And Raketa, any meetings that come to your mind? Overall, I really enjoy the Geneva meetings. We know the venue that is really convenient. The medium size of the meeting is great for interaction. It's truly multidisciplinary. And yeah, an excellent opportunity to meet colleagues. But yeah, perhaps I would like to highlight this 2021 meeting for the excellent educational sessions and also our presentations. Yeah, that's a good reminder. When this does come into person, really recommend this. The convention center, you can walk to it from the airport and the hotel's right there. Uh, and such a, a great lung-focused meeting and multidisciplinary in nature. And, and that really takes us to time. I do want to thank everyone for listening. And I especially want to thank Enrique and Fabrice for their time today and for helping to organize such a great virtual ELCC this year. Thank you and uh, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. <laughs> Thanks also to the other scientific co-chairs, the Scientific Steering Committee, Scientific Committee, and all the ISLC and ESMO staff, as well as all those who participated and presented at this meeting. While many of us would prefer to be in Switzerland, virtual meetings are a necessity. Pandemic, however, will not get in the way of scientific advances for lung cancer. That's it for this episode of Lung Cancer Considered. We'd hope you'll tune in on the first and third Mondays of every month to give us a listen. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org, in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues. 